we're talking about resurrected life. This is the, this is the series. And so, Pastor Ellie left us off uh, last week at talking about God's grace. But the premise of the series is that once we were dead in their trespasses and sins, incapable of saving ourselves, there was no way that we could do anything to pull ourselves up out of death, right? We need to be called from death to life. And that's what salvation is. It is a resurrection. And that's why baptism is so important for us as a body of Christ, because it is a celebration. It is a picture of resurrected lives. And so, but what happens is, is that after resurrected life is that this resurrected life, who I am on the inside, this new heart, this new desire that I have to serve God, dwells in an unredeemed flesh. You know, your mind, your will, your emotions, your body. We're not perfect yet. You guys all know that, right? Your wife is perfect. But husbands, you're not perfect. <laughs> Some of you, it, you know, it may be hard for you to believe that, but that, that's what you need to believe. <laughs> but we're all progressively growing to be more like Christ. And so I came to bring some good news to you that this process of progressively becoming more like Christ, having the new eye be the king in our life versus our flesh is a battle. It's a, it's a war. It's a war. It's an all out war between my new desire, my new nature in Christ and this flesh that has tendencies to go towards the things of this world. It's an all-out war. I just want to read this excerpt to you from a Desiring God article. Is it restful to be a Christian? Or is it war to be a Christian? Is it restful or is it war? The answer is, it is both. And here is the way they come together. The war is to rest in the right place. And the whole world is telling you to rest in all the wrong places. Rest in money. Rest in success. Rest in your looks. Rest in your strength. Rest in your business. Rest. The world wants you to find your satisfaction, your rest, your restfulness, your peacefulness in insurance, in padlocks, in cruises, big fat retirements, big portfolios. These are all the restful commendations of the world. And the war is to rest in the right place. So this is what we're talking about this morning. That as believers, we can't rest in the things of this world. Because we have been made new in Christ. And the things of this world do not make sense to us anymore. But it's still a battle. It's still difficult. How many of you can relate to the, to the battle? You want to serve God and you want to honor him. You want to pursue him. And then you can have thoughts of lust or temptation or anger or hatred or frustration. You can be greed, greedy. You can be covetous of, of, of your neighbor's goods and their house. And, and, and it's still this war. And you know those things are not true. You know those things don't satisfy. You know the things of the world are not a place to find rest and peace in. But we still wrestle with it. This is a lifelong process. So if you just got saved and you thought Christianity was just, you went from a war and now you thought, well, I'm just going to be resting. Well, good news. The war continues. And the war is going to continue until you go to see Jesus. Because our flesh, our flesh, our flesh has a way of, of, of really fighting against our, our godly nature really hard. At times when we least expect it. And so what I want to do this morning is I, 
I want to show you somebody else in Scripture. I want to show you someone in Scripture who, who is acquainted with this war. And then what I want to do after that is, is I want to show us this morning what God has given us. What, what, what are the tools he's given us to fight this war well? Let's look at Romans chapter 7. And this is the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. You think the Apostle Paul wrestled against his fleshly nature? He did. This is Romans 7, 18 through 24. Listen, listen to this battle. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have these desires, but I find that I struggle to carry it out is what he's saying. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. This is just what he's saying. This is us. I delight in the law of God. For I delight in the law of God. I lost my place there. 22. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight to the, in the law of God, in my inner being. Verse 23. But I see in my members, in my body, another law. What's it say there? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So that's the war. That's the battle. It's, 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 it's something that will go on for the rest of your resurrected life. The resurrected life is a life of being resurrected to newness of life. You're saved. You're justified. You are right before a holy God. But there's two main goals of the Christian life. Two main goals. First goal is this, is that you would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That you would be like Jesus. And then secondly, what happens after that, the second goal is that you would bring glory to the name of Jesus. So two main goals, be like Jesus and shine forth his glory for everyone to see. Those are the two main goals. And the enemy, Satan, one of his greatest strategies is to get you to take your spiritual life from a passive position. He wants you to come to church and to just just to believe that you're going to become like Christ without any effort on your part. You're just going to come and soak up the presence of the Lord and you're not going to have to worry about dying to your flesh. Just come and get zapped by the Holy Ghost and you don't have to worry about the things you watch and look at. He wants you to take your spiritual life from a passive position and not realize that God's desire for you is to shine forth the glory of the Lord. You know, God's glory shining in our life happens from lives that are spiritually maturing and growing. You know, when you first get saved, you have such an amazing testimony of what God's done in your life. And God and God gives you a testimony. But then what begins to happen is that God wants to refine you and grow you and mature you. And if you can latch on to that and to say, God, I surrender my heart and I'm not going to take my Christian life from a passive position. I'm going to actively pursue you. God begins to unfold things in, in your lives, areas that you never imagined. That God wants to use you to demonstrate his glory to a lost and a dying world. And this is, this is what God has called us to. But it is so easy to just come to church on Sunday mornings. To just be passive. And from my perspective, the enemy wins. 
If, 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 you, if you reduce your Christian experience to one hour and a half, one day a week, it will be difficult for you to display the glory of God in your life, in your family, on your job. And one of the strategies of the enemy is to get us all to be passive, to not see it as a battle. You, and, and some of you think, well, this, it's really not a battle, Pastor Ben. That can't be true. It really is. You know, Pastor Nate talked about a couple of weeks ago about the unseen realm. I think some people really don't believe in that. It's easy to believe in God. We don't want to believe in the devil. There's really a devil? Really? That can't be true. Demons? No way. It's not true. It is true. The same Bible that gives us truth about who Jesus is is the same Bible that tells us that we are in a war. And I could have went through dozens of scriptures to demonstrate that to you. But we are in a battle. And look, the enemy, I believe, I I believe this. The enemy is okay with the world because they're lost. The enemy wants to stop us from preaching the gospel. Because if we can get the gospel to the people who desperately need it, then their eyes are going to come open and they're, and they're going to receive Jesus as their savior. And so the enemy's target is us. When you got saved, the, it was like a big target was drawn on your back. And there was a bullseye right there. And the enemy said, I'm going after him and her. Because i got to stop them i got to make them think that this Christian life is really not that big a deal. Just come to church on Sunday, appease a God, appease God, make him happy, and, and everything's okay. That's not the Christian life. We're called to service. We're called to bring him glory. What we're talking about here, this process we're talking about here, is called the process of sanctification. Sanctification is a doctrinal term that basically means growing in Christ, becoming conformed to the, to the image of Christ, being set apart. So one definition of sanctification would be this, to be set apart from sin and set apart unto God in holiness. So to be sanctified means to be set apart, set apart from sin and set apart unto God in holiness. You know, my wife and I went to a, a, a family life marriage conference this last weekend, and one of the speakers there, his name was Pastor Jeff Patton, and he gave a definition that I really loved of sanctification. And this is what he said. This is a, another definition. When our words and our actions increasingly become the same. When our words and our actions increasingly, increasingly become the same. You know, you can say that you believe one thing, but your life demonstrates and declares something different. And so what, what it means to grow in Christ is that there's this process that we go through. And we don't always get it right, right? And God's gracious and merciful, but it's whenever we increasingly grow, what we say, what we declare about what we believe is actually lived out increasingly more and more in our life. C.S. Lewis, I just want to read this. C.S. Lewis describes the work of God in us in a different way. This is a really neat way. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He is getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You, you knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here and putting on extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace 
Because he intends to come and live in it himself. That's, that's sanctification. God's knocking out this and he's knocking out this and he's rearranging this and, and he's knocking about really hard. And you're like, oh God, it hurts. Can you please stop? I don't want to forgive. I, I don't want to give up this anger. They hurt me. It was real and, and it was difficult. God, I don't want to do that. But he keeps knocking. He's going to knock down that wall of offense in your life. And he's going to, and he's going to build a wall of forgiveness and peace. That is sanctification. That is the process, the ongoing process from point A, salvation, to point Z, glorification when we get to heaven. In this in-between time, this is what the resurrected life looks like. And so what I want to do is, is I want to talk about what, what, what is it that God has chosen to use as the tool to help us to grow in Christ, to help us to be sanctified, set apart from sin and set apart unto God in holiness. God has designed that he would use his word as the primary tool to sanctify us. You know, it would be easy. And in, in, our, in our foundations class, I always preach this lesson on, sanct- on sanctification. And it would be easy, and I always tell the class, it would be easy if the Lord would just zap us, right? We get saved and zap us and all the bad habits would go away. Wouldn't that be the easy route? Wouldn't you love it? It would be great. But that's not what happens. It takes diligence. It takes effort on our part to cooperate with the work of God in our heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. You know this war that's raging? The pattern of this world to get you to think like the world, act like the world, believe like the world, even though you're a believer in Christ? Do not be conformed to that pattern, but be transformed. How are we transformed? Say it with me. By the renewal of your mind. The battle is in our mind. And when our mind is renewed, that by testing, you'll be able to to discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you want to know God's will? Right there. That's how it happens. If you want to know God's will, you have to have a transformed mind. And God transforms our mind through brainwashing. (laughs) Through taking God's word and relentlessly putting it in our mind. And then it travels down to our heart and it impacts our desires. And then it starts being seen in our hands and in our feet and in our words. This is that process. This is the resurrected Life. John 17 says this. This is Jesus praying for us. This is the great high priestly prayer in John 17. It says, Jesus praying to the Father, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of this crazy, sin-filled world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, right? We're new creations in Christ, just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth. And where's the truth found? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. God uses his word to sanctify us, to renew our mind. You know, I was listening to a Matt Chandler message uh, earlier this week or at the end of last week about sanctification and he gave this great example, so I'm just I'm giving him credit for this example, and, but it's a great example. So 
this is not his story, but this is my story. Uh, I, I sold my house. Uh, I, used to live in, I used to live in South Down West. And then I bought a house in Summerfield. And, you know, you go down 311, if you're familiar with the Homa area, you, you go down 311. And to get to South Down West, you guys know where Mystic Boulevard is off of 311? You guys all know where that's at? And typically I would turn right to go to Mystic, to go to Coral Drive, where I used to live. And then I sold my house. And now I live on 15, oh no, 15, oh my goodness, that's hilarious. 15 was the beginning of my, my other house, but mine's not renewed yet. Um, I, I'm, I, I live in Summerfield on Midland Drive, so that's where I live now. But so, for a while, my mind was not renewed, right? And I'm going down, and I'm just turning to go to this path, right? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I believe the Lord. But I have a tendency to go where I used to always go. I have a tendency to turn right. Hey, that's where I go. That, that's my old path. That's where I live. And all of a sudden, when you pull up in the driveway, you realize, I don't live there. That is the Christian life. That's, that's what it means. You're resurrected to newness of life and you have to remind yourself, I don't live on that street anymore. I don't go down that path anymore. I, I've been made new. I live somewhere else. Amen. Isn't that a powerful way to look at it? So look, I did it. <laughs> I'm telling you, Estelle would laugh at me. If I was distracted, now I don't text and drive, right? But if I was distracted on the phone, listening to something, if I'm talking to somebody, I don't know where I'm driving. I'll be honest with you. Estelle can attest to it. I don't know where I'm going. And I'll just be turning onto Mystic Boulevard and get all the way to Coral Drive. Oh, I don't live there anymore. I live over here. You know, so that's a picture of what we're going through. Is that we have to remind ourselves that we live somewhere different. And that process is a battle. It's, it's a war because the devil doesn't want you to remember where you where, where you live now, and he wants you to think back to where you used to be and get you to stay attracted to those things. So what does, so, so we have established that we're in a war. We've established that God wants us sanctified more like Christ, and we've established that God uses his word. So I want to get very practical with you and talk about some practical, ordinary ways that God uses his word to transform our minds so that we can progressively become more and more like Christ in the ways that we think in the ways that we act. There's five ways that God uses his word. Number one, reading God's word. Reading God's word. And this is the most basic. This is the most basic of, of, of all of the, the, the ordinary means that God uses to, to, to get his word into our heart. It's reading the word. It's practical. You, you know, whenever you read the Bible, some of you, you, you wake up like Pastor Nick at 2.30 in the morning and, and you read the Bible, right? I'm asleep at 2.30 in the morning. I might wake up at 2.30 in the morning to go use the restroom, but I go back to sleep. He stays awake and he reads the Bible there and it's effective times for him. Some of you, your effective times to read the Bible are in the afternoon. For me, that would not work, work well either because I'm, I'm, I'm needing some more caffeine to keep me awake. Some of you, the best times for you are in the evening. Whatever your time is that you can find to put God's word in, you have to make it a discipline in your life. It's unavoidable. It is unavoidable. Some, of, some people think, well, I, no, that can't be true. I'm just going to come and sit and listen to Pastor Renee or Pastor Ben or anybody else preaching. I'm going to be good. That's how I'm going to get God's word in. I, from, from experience, I'm telling you that that, that that does not last. You have to have time where you discipline yourself to open the Bible and to read it. And, it, it, you know, you may think, well, I don't understand it. I don't know what, what's being said here. Start in the, in the New Testament. Start in the Gospel of John. 
Start, start in one of the Gospels. Read about Jesus and his life. And you don't have to, you don't have to read 15 chapters in one day. Read, read, read three or four verses. Think about those verses. Pray about those verses. But start somewhere. Make it a discipline in your life. Psalms, uh, Psalms 119.11 says this. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is why it's so important to have God's word stored up in our minds and in our heart. Because in this process of sanctification, as we store it in our minds and it comes down into our hearts, we don't want to sin. We, des- we, we don't desire to sin. And that temptations, the temptations that used to trip us up, the effect of them wane more and more as we store God's word in our heart. Joshua 1, 7 through 8, this is the commissioning of Joshua before he goes out to do what God's called him to do. Listen to this. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Don't go down that old path that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For you, for, for then, anybody want to be successful and prosperous? For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. As you meditate on God's word day and night, that's whenever your life is going to find fruitfulness and prosperity and happiness and peace. So this is the first fundamental way, practical way. We have to get in God's word, open it and read it. I, I enjoy listening to God's word too. I enjoy to get the audio Bible, the Version Bible app on, on my phone and I listen to it while I'm driving. You know, it's just, it's, so however you get it in, get God's word in to your ears, into your heart. Number two. Hearing God's word. So now we're going to talk about hearing God's word. It is important to hear God's word. You know, some people say that the local church is not needed. Some people believe that it's outdated now. We don't need the local church. But God clearly reveals in scripture that he uses pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. It's clear in scripture. And there's, there's, there, is, there has always been a push. I say it's a push now. There's always been a push against the local church that, have, that has come in waves throughout the the uh, the centuries, but it's because there's power within the local church. There's power that is displayed whenever brothers and sisters gather together for the purpose of worshiping God and hearing God's word preach. God uses it. And Ephesians 4 tells us this, hearing God's word. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. God has given shepherds and teachers to the body of Christ so that they can rightly divide God's word, explain it and teach it. And so that the body can grow up to 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 be more like Jesus. And as we said earlier, to be like Jesus and then to display his glory, to do the works of the ministry everywhere that they go, 
Everywhere that you go, God's called you to do the works of the ministry. And when you relent, when you sit here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and you you relentlessly hear God's word taught in your life, God does a work and he grounds you and he gives you a great foundation to stand on. He matures you. He grows you. And he and then he does something amazing. He pushes you out the door. And he says, I want you to be a light and be a witness in your family, on your job. I, I want you to display my glory and the beauty of what God has, has done in your life, what he's doing in your life. Hebrews 4.12 says this about word, about God's word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, to the division of soul and of spirit, of the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we hear God's word taught, it reproves, corrects, trains, equips, and pierces. It reveals who we really are and calls us to accountability. So I just want to commend you. It's amazing you guys are here. You come Sunday after Sunday. It's because you're committed to this process. You're committing to hearing God's word. And some, some of you, when you hear God's word taught, it pierces you. And it cuts you. And it steps on your toes at the same time. And you're like, oh, that hurt this morning. But it's a good hurt. It's a hurt that leads to healing. It's a hurt that leads to health and wholeness in your spiritual life. And as a result of that, God releases you onto your community, into your, into your world to display the glory of God. You know, I think sometimes people in churches can believe that Pastor and A and I and the other pastors that we're called to do the work of the ministry, that this is the work of the ministry right here, the pulpit work. And that's not the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is when you is when we leave these doors, when we leave the doors. That's the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is birthed and is developed under the preaching of God's word. This is what Ephesians 4 says. So that you can be grounded and steady. So that you can leave here. And Living Word Church is represented. The body of Christ represented at Living Word Church. Is spread throughout all this region. Doing the work of the ministry. How powerful is that? Imagine the multiplied impact. If it's up to me. To impact this community. To impact this region. man, it, uh, These messages can only go so far. I've seen the views on Vimeo. They only go so far, right? But the multiplied impact of people that are growing in the knowledge of God and his word and maturing, we leave these doors and we spread the gospel. And then God brings people in to be matured and to grow, to come to faith in Jesus and send them out. This is what it means to be a gospel-centered church. And this is why it's important to hear God's word. Amen? Third way. Singing God's word. Some of us sing on key and some of us don't sing on key, right? But singing God's word. So what do I mean by singing God's word? You know, music is so important to us, right? I love music. I love godly music. I love worship music. You know, music is a big part of my life every single day. There's not many days I can think of that I'm not listening to music that exalts Christ. I I, I mean, I just stop and think about it. How, you know, whether we're driving in our car, listening to the radio, or, or we put our headphones on, or, or wherever, we're constantly listening to music. And so my encouragement to you is to take advantage of those opportunities and listen to good stuff. You know, music is powerful. God uses music to carry truth. 
That's why when we sing songs up here on Sunday mornings, we're singing songs that should exalt the name of Christ. His character and his nature and who he is and, and what we believe and what he's done for us. That's the, there's a reason why we do that. It's because we want us all together to think about who Jesus is and praise him and worship him and honor him for who he is and what he's done. And what that does is, is it reinforces the truth of God's word that we've been taught and the truth that we've heard or that we've read. Music does that. So this is what I like to do. And I had my hands free earlier, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've just given you a visual example here. I have some noise-canceling headphones here. And this is what I do. I, I, I cancel everything out. Put my headphones on. I've got a button right here. And I turn, I turn it on. You guys are gone. It's connected to my iPhone right now. And I just cancel out the world. And I love to put my headphones on and to sing and, and, and to worship God. I'm probably talking louder than I was earlier. And I'm just worshiping the Lord. I've canceled out the world. And I'm singing songs of worship to God. So if you have some noise-canceling headphones, put them on. Cancel out the, cancel out the world. Put, cancel out the, the messages of the world, the things the enemy is trying to get into your heart and in, into your mind. Listen to music that exalts God. You know it matters what you listen to? It matters what you put into your ears. And use that as a symbol, as a picture. I'm canceling out everything around me, canceling out my frustrations and my worries. And God, I'm focusing on you and I'm going to listen to music that points me to Christ. And look, you know, some, sometimes I walk around here with my noise-canceling headphones and I sing and I, and I worship. And sometimes I'll, Mark will walk in. And I'm like, Mark, look, excuse me <laughs> if I sing bad, but I'm going to be singing off-key here. This is, this is really not good. And I just love to do it because I'm centering myself in another way on God's truth and on his word. Psalms 104.33 says this. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing to the Lord as long as I live. Psalm 86, 12 through 13 says this, with all of my heart, I will praise you, O Lord, my God. With all of my heart, off key, I'm going to praise you. I will give you, I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. That's why we sing, because we're resurrected from the depths of death. God uses music that exalts Christ to deeply encourage our souls. You guys ever been there? Deeply discouraged? A song comes on the radio or it's on your playlist. And God just, you just find yourself weeping and crying because God's word to music and song pierces your heart and you're encouraged and you're strengthened. It's powerful. It's another ordinary means that God uses to encourage us, to renew us, to transform our minds and to change the way that we live. Fourthly, and another ordinary means is that God uses is that praying God's word, praying God's word. And this is this is something very practical that you can do that, that will help you center yourself on God's word. You know, I think a lot of us, as I asked earlier, we, we want to know God's will. We want to know what God's called us to do and called us to be. And we want to know his will. We cry out for it. We cry out for it. Well, we have been blessed to know God's will. And it's found in his word. First John 5, 14 through 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. 
That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. And God's word is the clearest revelation of his will. If we have God's word, we have his will. I think so many times people, people spend so long trying to figure out what God's will is and it's sitting right in front of them. They, they, many people spend far too long worried about finding God's yet to be revealed will. They do this at the expense of, of, of living according. They, they do this at the expense of living according to his already revealed will. You guys ever been there? You spend so long praying, God, who should I marry? What job should I take? What should I do? I need to know your will. And you have God's will right in front of you and you, and, and you don't follow after God's will. That's already been revealed in your life. We have his will. And so it's easy when we go to scripture, we can pray according to God's will. And we can pray what God has revealed to us for our lives. So here's here's what this looks like. This is Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. And I just want to pray God's word in my life and you can join me. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul saying, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what would it look like to pray God's word? Lord, I pray that I would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, I pray that I would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you. God, I want to bear fruit in every work, increasing in the knowledge of you, God. God, I want you to strengthen me with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12. God, I give thanks to the Father who has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. God, I thank you. You've delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of your son in whom I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just take a scripture like that and just pray it in your life. You're, you're reading God's word. You're hearing God's word. You're singing God's word and you're praying it. You're taking God's word and you're being practical with it. You're praying it. God, I pray these things into my life that this would be true of who I am, that you would work these things in me, work this truth in my life. God, I pray that you would do this in my life. You know, first, that's first Thessalonians four, three through four says, says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. It is God's will that we would be sanctified, set apart from sin unto holiness in in God. So this is God's will. What's, What's the fifth way, the practical way that God has called us and shown us that we can be sanctified through his word? The the, the fifth way is unity around God's word. Unity around God's word. So what, what do I mean about unity around God's word? God's word is reinforced in our lives through the godly relationships we have in the body of Christ. And this is a fundamental way that God helps us to grow in Christ. He is placed, he places you in a body of, of believers 
that will help encourage you and strengthen you and help you along in your journey. When you have those weaknesses and those sins and those temptations that you're trying to fight against and you fail and you mess up and you make a mistake, God sets a brother or sister alongside of you to encourage you and strengthen you. And they encourage you with the truth of God's word. This is what happens when you join yourself and you you unify yourself in the body of Christ. But if you believe that you don't need the body, that you can do this by yourself, then you, then you don't get the privilege of taking part in these scriptures here. This is what it says in Colossians 3, 12 through 16. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and, and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. We are one body. Verse 16, so powerful. Let the word of Christ, as we've been talking about, dwell in you richly. And what happens when it does that? You can begin to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So as the word of God dwells richly in our hearts, as we're making it a priority to read it, to hear it, to sing it, to pray it. We're dwelling with each other as a body of believers. And we're, we've been given the opportunity to encourage each other in this battle that we're facing. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament says, Brothers, if anyone... Brothers, brothers in Christ, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 2 is so powerful. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, this this takes place in the body of Christ. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 takes place in the body of Christ. As, as you've been washed by God's word and matured in God's word and you are, and, 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 and you are, you, you are looking out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you see them struggling in this battle of sanctification, you can be there to bear their burdens. Has anybody ever needed somebody to bear a burden with you? Anybody ever struggled with sin? As the apostle Paul said, this struggle, this war in your heart and in your mind. How powerful is it when somebody, when a brother or sister comes up next to you and says, look, I see that you're struggling and I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm there with you. I'm here to lock arms with you and say this area is not going to defeat you. This area is not going to drag you out and get you to be on the sideline in this battle. You're going to be victorious. That's called bearing one another's burdens. And that happens so beautifully in life groups. It happens so beautifully in the community that we have developed here in our church. That we come alongside each other to bear each other's burdens. The unity of the body of Christ. You know, who you hang out with matters. And I just want to speak specifically to those who are new believers. You know, your mama was right. Some of you, some of you think that your mama made this up, that... That uh, bad company corrupts good morals. It's actually in the Bible. Your mama didn't make it up. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So I just want to encourage those of you who are new in Christ. 
I don't want you to be deceived and to believe that, that you can, now that you're a believer and you're resurrected to, to new life, that you can go quickly back to the people that you used to hang out with. You can't do it. You have to have time. I know some of you think, well, I'm going to go back and tell them about Jesus. So often, I've, I've heard stories, and Pastor Nate can tell you many, many stories of people. They come in, and they're fresh, and they're on fire, and, and, they, they, and they get saved, and they're ready to go tell all the people that, that, that where, where they came from about what God's done in their life, but they're not ready for it. And they go back, and six months down the road, they're gone because they weren't ready to go back yet. They needed to be matured and to grow. So I just want to encourage all of us that who we hang out with matters, who we listen to. The people that we unify ourselves to, it matters because bad company can corrupt good intentions. You can intend, you can think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm different now. You hang around them long enough and that war that's waging in your flesh can, can resurrect and you can be tempted and the temptation can be too strong for you and you can give in. Stay away. If you're new in Christ, stay away. From those that have drawn, that have drugged you away from God. At the right time, God will send you back and you can be a testimony to declare God's goodness in their life. So unity around God's word. And so those are the five ways. Reading God's word, hearing God's word, singing God's word, praying God's word and unifying around brothers and sisters in Christ. And so God uses these ordinary means to mature us and to grow us. And, and, and this is something that we do for the rest of our life. So get used to this process. This is normal Christian life. You know, and I was, as, as I was thinking about this and I knew I was going to go through these five areas and I just thought about, I thought about Peter in, in the scripture. I thought about how Peter is somebody that we can all relate to, you know, because Peter was a failure. Peter looked the Lord Jesus in the eye and he denied him three times that he ever knew him. Peter walked with Jesus for three, over three years, saw all the miracles that Jesus did, knew that he was the son of God. And that, and when the temptation came, he, he saw Jesus being ridiculed and mocked and beaten and being crucified. And some people came and asked him if he knew who this man was and he denied him once and he denied him twice and he denied him a third time. And, and I think about Peter and I think that's me. That's my life. And I, and I know that you're the same. And there's so many struggles that we face. And sometimes we feel so weak in this battle. We feel like that I don't have the strength to get through this. And you hear me saying, well, just do all these practical steps and things are going to be good. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that God's going to use these areas to help you to mature. But the struggle will still be real. The struggle is still going to be difficult and you're going to be like Peter and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail. And if you remember back to Luke 22, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And this is one of the most powerful conversations that helps me in my life when I think back to it. Jesus prophesied and told Peter what he was going to do before he did it. And he looked at Peter and he said, Simon, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. So that he can sift you like wheat. So what was Jesus telling Peter there? He's telling Peter, Satan wants to destroy your life. And he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom. And we know later on, who was it that preached the first message? The book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter did. And Satan, Satan knew that, 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 that Peter was going to be a powerful instrument. And God had a plan for him. So Satan has asked for him, Jesus says. One of the most powerful lines that could ever be said was by Jesus. He says, but I have prayed for you. 
but I have prayed for you. And I just want to encourage you with that, that Jesus prays for you. He's with you. When, you. when you're feeling overwhelmed and burdened in your life and the sin and temptation are strong and you don't know where to turn, you need to remember that Jesus is with you. He is on your side. He's praying for you. He has never left you. He is there with you in the battle. When you feel like you, you're, you're a believer and you see that temptation and that lie of the enemy in front of you, you need to be reminded that Jesus is with you. And he's commissioned the Holy Spirit to intercede for you. John 14, 16 through 17 says this. Jesus says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, right? As believers, you know him. For he dwells with you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is praying for us and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and he lives on the inside of us. You are not alone in this battle. Philippians 2, one of my favorite scriptures, the closing scripture here, says this in Philippians 2. It says, therefore, my, be- my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Some people think, oh, wait, Paul's talking about works for salvation. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. What Paul is saying there is that he, God wants us to work out what God has worked in. God has worked in you, and so now we work it out and live it out and grow in sanctification. But look at the hope here. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that good? It's a divine, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cooperation. God works in you and saves you because you couldn't save yourself. He justifies you. He calls you a child of God and he sets you on this journey of becoming like Christ. And he doesn't just leave you alone. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He empowers you and gives you the will to work and to do of his good pleasure. God is with you. Don't you stand to your feet with me? And I, I just want to do something. I just want to pray for those of you who are struggling in this battle. Who, are, who feel overwhelmed. And, and, and I know it's not easy. It's not easy to admit this if you're a, a Christian. But hey, what? We're all family, right? So there's no shame. You don't have to worry about it. The, the person that you think would be judging you, he struggles the same way. Right? We're all here, we're all here for each other. So I just want to open up these altars. If you are struggling in this, this area, in this battle that you're facing of becoming like Christ, and there's areas of temptation you're struggling in, and you have felt overwhelmed in this. You feel like I'm losing the battle, and then I'm getting victories, but then I'm losing the battle, and it's a struggle, and I need to be encouraged. I want, I, I, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to remind you that Jesus is praying for you, that he is with you, that he's given you the Holy Spirit to encourage you. So, if, if, if you need prayer this morning in this area, I just would like for you to, to come down and I want to pray for you. Come on. Anybody. Come down. Yes. Some of you are really struggling. We want to pray for you. We, we, we all want to pray for you. I'm, I'm going to pray for you, but we're all going to pray for you as a body. We're going to pray for those that you're just burdened with this struggle and you need some encouragement. 
You need some encouragement this morning. Thank you guys for being honest. If we were all honest, we'd all be down here. I think I might come stand with these guys. Right? We struggle. It's not easy. It's not easy following Christ. I think we believe the lie that it is easy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We're going to keep waiting. There's no, there's no rush. Are awesome. I want us as a body, I want us all just to stretch our hands to these that have come up, and we're going to pray. And I'm believing that you're going to leave this morning encouraged, strengthened, and reminded that the Holy Spirit is with you, Jesus is praying for you, and that there's victory in the areas that you're struggling with. You can grow in whatever you're struggling in. Lord, I just pray for all of these people, God, that have come up, all of your children that have come up, your sons and your daughters. God, I, I, I know that the struggle is real. I know that it's difficult to walk in the ways that you've called us to walk in. At times, the, the temptations can be overwhelming and strong. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would remind them, God, that you are there with them every step of the way, that you've never left them, and you're never going to forsake them. God, and I pray as a body of Christ that we would support them and pray for them. God, I pray that there would be no that they would feel no condemnation because they are in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that they would be reminded of who they are in Christ, that they are new creations, and that their old way, that their old habits that they're having a hard time with. God, I pray that you would remind them that it is not who they are; they are brand new. I thank you for hope and healing and strength for each and every one of these. God, and I pray that for all of us as a body of Christ, Lord, that we would continue to grow, that we would not neglect your word, that we would not turn a deaf ear to your word, that we would pursue knowing your word, that it would transform our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, and that we would progressively become more and more like you. And that as a result, that we would be a body of believers at Living Word Church that fulfills gospel ministry, that leaves these doors and goes out and declares the glory of Christ everywhere that we go. I thank you for all these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. I would like to do this, too, before you guys are dismissed. If there's anybody in this room that you are not a Christian, you know, sanctification is for believers. But if you have never been saved and you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, me and Pastor Renee and the other staff will be down here. We want to pray for you. If there's anybody like that, Other than that, you guys are are dismissed.